Welcome, everybody. U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Berry, along with my excellent and great friend, Father Richard Heilman. We've got a returning guest, Jason Jones, from the Jason Jones Show. So we'll get into all that with him. There we go. There we go. we got to get that plug in there. But before we get started, of course, everything needs to begin with prayer. Father, I turn this over to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruinous souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Everybody out there, first and foremost, I want to thank you all for your support, continued support of the U.S. Grace Force podcast. Amazing to have so many of you out there who are praying for us, commenting, writing to us. And again, when Father and I are out publicly, we have so many people who come up and just have been so supportive and so encouraging. Thank you so much for all of that. And again, thank you to all the patrons out there, those of you who support us financially. If anybody wants to help with that, you can check in the description below the link to the Patreon program. Amazing support keeps us moving, especially, especially as we always say, we're dealing with this cancel culture and we're all experiencing on one level or another, which is what we're going to be talking about a little bit tonight. But we want to thank you all for your support. And don't forget to go out to the U.S. Grace Force official gear page. Get one of the amazing T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, all kinds of stuff. Men's, women's styles, different colors, incredible sayings, especially the, I got Gracie. I got to keep mentioning that because that's our mascot, Gracie the dog, father's pet. But also we got amazing other, uh, other messages out there as well we want to get across to the world. So thanks again for your support when you go out to the U.S. Grace Force gear page. Our guest tonight, Jason Jones, you all probably know who Jason is. He does amazing work, a tremendous amount of work for years dealing with human rights all over the world, different places of the world. And he's, he speaks so, so clearly and so concisely about this. A lot of pro-life work. He's written books. He's been all over the place, been on many podcasts. Uh, he's just, he's just, a, just a really powerful voice out there. We're thankful, Jason, that you took time to come on the show with us. You know, Jason, Father Howland, I like to do, we, we kind of do these things last minute, and it's somewhat intentional. So, Father, on Monday morning, the day we record this, will send me a message. So, any ideas? Or I'll send him a message. Any ideas? Or he'll send a message like he did today. All right, here's what's swirling around inside my brain. And he lays this idea out, and then we get on the phone and talk about it. Said, who do we think would be good for this? You were the first one we both thought would be amazing for this topic. The duty of influence, I know it was what we came up with on this, but this is getting at the heart of with this cancel culture garbage going on and a lot of the, the darkness and the attacks in the world. We really need to have a, a proper gospel-based pushback against these lies and these things that are going on in the world. So thanks for taking time, short notice, to jump on with us and do this show, Jason. It is awesome to have you back with us. It's a privilege to be on with you guys. And I literally just got off a plane from Hawaii where I was back home, uh, tragically for a friend's funeral. But I oh, feel like I'm still at home with uh, your background there. So yeah. I'm great. And I'm wearing my Hawaii shirt here for you. So we got the Hawaii shirt there going here. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, tonight we, we really wanted to get into this. And Father, you wrote a great article. Maybe we just kick off getting into this article a little bit and kind of lay it out from there. You wrote an amazing article recently about kind of this whole idea of we need heroes. We need people to stand up in, in the face of everything that's going on. Yeah, I, I actually based it on my sermon this weekend, which I really, really wanted it to go well. And I got some good uh, feedback from people and they thought it did go well. Um, but my point in the, uh, the beginning of my sermon was that I wanted to point to heroes. And, uh, you know, the way I framed it was that um, I, I, we're, we're getting canceled. We keep saying that we're getting canceled. But what's the accusation that's being thrown out at a lot of us is that um, in order to, uh, to unify, okay, uh, we, we have to compromise or we have to appease or we have to accommodate you know, the, what I call the gospel of the culture, the radical secular gospel. Uh, and, and that's the only place that's allowed for us to, to meet, to become united. And a lot of us priests are getting uh, beat up by the radical secular um, media. And also some of them are getting beat up by their superiors. Mm. And, and here's the accusation they're throwing at them. You're divisive. You know, th that's what they're saying. You're divisive. And, and I, I, so the, the title of my article, article that I wrote, and again, based on this sermon I gave on Sunday, 
was Jesus and all good shepherds, I put in, uh, in quotation marks, are divisive. And why do I say that? Well, because let's look at uh, John, or Luke 12, um, and I'll just do, do, do the one part within that, uh, in, in um, verse 50, I believe it is. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And then he goes on and people recognize, you know, the family would be divided, you know, the, the two, two against two and three against three and uh, father against son and so on. But you know, you're sitting there going, wait, what? This is the Prince of Peace. And uh, we're to be unified. What, what, where, what's he getting at here? Well, he's, rec he's recognizing that, you know, he's not going to come and follow the gospel of the world. And he's not going to just say what people want to hear. He's going to say what's true. And, and he didn't adapt to the world. Uh, he expected people to adapt to the God's truth as he spoke it. And, and so when Jesus ministered on earth, he had some people who followed him, but there were some people who sought to kill him and eventually uh, cru crucify him. And so it is today. And, and so this is, this is why I believe we're, we've lost the reins of influence in our time because we have convinced ourselves that we can't be divisive in any way. And, and in order to do that, you have to um, not speak up. Uh, you can't offend anybody. You can't, you know, uh, make snowflakes upset, right? Uh, and, and that's just not true. I ask people to look at the image of Christ once again. That was not who Christ was. Just a, a weak, uh, pathetic, uh, you know, silent voice. Uh, he spoke up and he spoke the truth. Why? Because he wanted to save souls. Mm, right. what, what, Jason, what do you think about what I'm saying there? You know, Father, it's, it's powerful and it's beautiful. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about when the mob was, was united uh, around the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And she was... Right. They, they were united and they were united in right. the act of violence against this woman. And yep. if we didn't want to be divisive, we would have picked up a stone and joined in with the mob. Exactly. Uh, you know, our Lord cavorted with uh, people of ethnicities that were considered undesirable, professions that were considered undesirable, kissed lepers, uh, um, defended a woman caught. And I mean, caught mm -hmm. in the very act of adultery from a mob. And in the end, of course, it was through mob violence that he died. But um, so if we are not willing to be divisive, and I believe in the primacy of the spiritual, but as Father Frank Pavone, we were talking about him before we went on, said, if you're praying and, and it's a one-way conversation and you're not, if you're not hearing God respond right. to stand up for the child in the womb, to stand up for the vulnerable, you might, your ears are closed. Right. And, and so... If we're not willing to be not, it's not that we long to be divisive. It's not that we long to be alienated or to become, as the French anthropologist Rene Girard says, when you are truly committed to the vulnerable, you become as vulnerable as they are. You become indistinguishable to the mob from the person they're attacking. It's not that we want to be on the wrong side of every mob that comes along, but it's that our faith compels us to do that. Um, so I think there's no greater compliment than, than to be called divisive because nobody wants to be divisive. Um, we don't long for that, but that unfortunately is a necessary consequence of standing up against the spirit of the age, standing up against the mob, whether it's violent, physically violent, or cancel culture is really just one small step away really from physical violence. Um, then really what, what we're, we're the salt, we are literally the salt that lost its taste. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that ends up bad when salt loses its flavor. It's I think thrown out. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So in, in Jason, I know you, you've been involved in, in so much work over the years with like just standing up for human rights. And I mean, you've traveled to multiple countries, Middle East. I mean, where have you traveled to deal so the people understand you've been in the thick of this type of battle for a long time, not just the pro-life battle in the area of the unborn child, the preborn child in the womb, but you, you've dealt with, I mean, you've been in the Middle East, you've been, you've been where, where have you been in, in the Africa, thick of the Middle East? Um, you know, 
pretty much all over the world. I say I have the honor of going to the most beautiful places in the world with the most beautiful people in the world at the worst possible time. Wow. And, you know, I was in Iraq with the Peshmerga, uh, traveling with them, documenting the, the sufferings of Christians in Iraq and Yazidis and others, Kurds. Um, I was in Sudan uh, over a decade ago in the midst of that genocide, documenting what was happening to our co-religionists, but also Muslims and animists and others. And uh, again, it's not that I wanted to leave my family. It's not that I wanted to go um, put myself in danger. That's the last thing in, in the world that I would want to do. It's just that, you know, I guess now for 30 some years, I would say I'm, I'm addled. Um, I'm addled by the thought of children exposed to violence. And I have recognized since I was a 17 year old boy, I, I really could see clearly the amount of influence that I could have as an American. Um, and now with technology the way it is, our ability uh, for all, each and every one of us to exert influence in the service of the vulnerable, it's, it's really unimaginable. Yeah, I think you make a point that I, I think we're going to emphasize, and if you could expound upon a little bit, when you talk about what Father Frank says, that if Father Frank Pavone, that if we're not hearing God talk to us, especially about standing up for the most vulnerable that are out there, such as the unborn, but also the people that are caught up in, in the sex trafficking industry or, or those who are enslaved and, and they're having body parts harvested, um, in, or, or just people who are, who are caught up in domestic abuse scenarios you know, in suburbia somewhere, but no one reaches out to try to see if they can help or if they can try to you know, bring some sort of order to the person's life. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you see is the Christian's responsibility. I mean, the title of this is The Duty of Influence. Where does the duty lie for the Christian, especially who claims Christ as Lord and Savior, regardless of our denomination, recognizes the Gospels as being something so important, so intrinsic to our existence and our future eternally and so forth? What is the duty of the Christian to influence society when it comes to standing up for the most vulnerable across the board? How much of it is it is it just like a good idea if you feel good about it? You know, it's a nice thing to do on the side when you want to volunteer a little time. Or should it be more deeply ingrained in this? And, and I'll, I'll say this last point. In one of the previous shows we did with you, and I don't remember, we've done at least two, maybe three episodes. And people need to go back and look them up. You can look them up in U.S. Grace Force podcast. And I know you talk more about your past and everything there. Um, but I asked you a question, and it really stood out, I know, to Father Heilman and I. And I don't know if it was on the podcast specific or if it was some of the bonus footage that we send out to the Patreon members. But I asked the question about what haunts you, I think. You know what? For people who do evangelization, I mean, you and I have been doing this for a long time in different areas, but similar. I've been 31 years. You've been 30 years or so. And Father, you're a priest for what, close to 30 years. 30 years now, correct, Father, I think? 33 this year. 33. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, actually, uh, in 10 days. That's awesome. That's my, it's my death year, but it's my resurrection year too. So That's awesome. But, you know, all of us have our stories and have our moments, depending on what you're doing. And anybody who's done this work for any length of time knows where you are sitting on the edge of your bed, literally or figuratively, and you've got that kind of face buried in the palms of your hands, literally or figuratively, wondering, Lord, what? Where are you? One of my number one prayers is, Lord, where are you in this, whatever this is at that moment? And I had asked you that question, what haunts you in a in a, in a deeper interior way. And you told the story of when you went through, I believe it was Iraq and you were, you, you talked about smelling the flesh of the dead children. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So, and I'm sorry to bring this up, except if you can speak to that and why the duty of the Christian is not just a let's volunteer a few minutes here and there, but there's something much, much bigger here. And we have got to recognize if we're going to embrace the gospel it has to flow through us like the blood in our veins, the duty to influence the world in right ways. Can you talk about that a bit, Jason? Yeah, well, you know, for me, this all began as a 17-year-old when my high school girlfriend had a forced abortion and I was in basic training, didn't know anything about religion or politics, didn't know abortion was legal. Um, so then as a young soldier through those experiences and together with my experience with my abortion, I just, as a young man, as a 17-year-old said, I want to really spend the rest of my life getting in between the vulnerable and the violent. And so at first I thought that that might be, and you know, in the military and going from being a line infantryman and maybe trying to get into special forces or something like that. But then I became a, a father and 
I realize the power of media. We live in a constitutional republic. Our ability is for each and every one of us to influence the, the laws of our land and the policies of our land. And so that's sort of where it all began for me. Um, but yeah, the experience in Iraq, it was really horrible. We were going through a, a village uh, that was actually a Christian village and it had been just flattened. Um, and there was this horrible smell and I had asked what that smell was. And um, the, the Peshmerga commander was embarrassed to say that they hadn't been able to get the, the prisoners of ISIS out of these buildings that had been on, set on fire and destroyed by ISIS as they fled. And that what I was smelling was children, you know, the children, mm -hmm. uh, the human flesh. It was like the worst thing you could ever smell in your life. Um, and the poor commander was, you know, his heart was broken as well at their failure to save those children, although they, they did save so many uh, families and so many victims of ISIS, and, and they liberated a lot of women. Um, but yeah, that that haunts me. And you just, I'm grateful for the privilege as a civilian uh, through my work um, to see war up, up close and personal because it does drive me. Uh, it inspires me. And um, of course, you know, we feel so helpless. Like mother, I'm looking at the sea behind you and Mother Teresa was asked how she can have any hope when there's a sea of suffering. And she says that she just puts her bucket in the sea every day and brings it home and tends to her bucket. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, that's what each and every one of us, what each and every one of us can do. Um, and, you know, we don't want to go around the world do-gooding. That's what I always tell people. We don't want to be do-gooders. Like, that's the last thing we want to go around imposing our values and our customs um, and lording them over other people because we know right here at home, uh, I run an apostolate that does what we do, but right here at home, of course, abortion is uh, just an un unspeakable horror. And that's, I think, the first place that all of us can begin is at our local pregnancy center. But I think all of us have an inciting incident. Um, some injustice or, or something that we've suffered with or struggled with. Maybe you struggle with depression or but you're bipolar or you have a family member who is and you know the sorrow and anguish and agony that you go through. There are people in your community, they can be white collar and they can be very wealthy, uh, but it doesn't matter. They're extremely vulnerable and you can be there for them. Or maybe you've experienced drug addiction or gambling addiction, you're addicted to prescription pain medication, then the first person you should begin with is yourself. I often will meet when I travel and speak, somebody will come up to me and uh, it's really embarrassing. And they'll say, oh, you know, I'm so admire you and all the work you do. I don't really do anything. And then you find out that, you know, they have a spouse with Alzheimer's or they've been taking care mm -hmm. of a, a child that was born with severe disabilities. And of course, that's where you begin. Yeah. And that is the really important and hard work all of us are surrounded with these opportunities. Or you're a restaurant manager in Chicago and you're, you haven't been open since March. Hmm. And you have all these employees of yours that are unemployed and they're at home alone, depressed. You check on them, you know, or prison ministry, you know. But I think all of us, right where we are, we don't have to look far at all right. to see as, as Christians. And then that's, by the way, how we share the gospel. I'm not one of these people, you know, I'm mouthy. I have a podcast, I make movies, I write, and I, I always get offended when people will say to me, well, you know, St. Francis said, use words only when necessary. Words are often very necessary. We should use words. Um, but, that, but, by the way, that quote drives me nuts when people say that. Right. Angela is always, well, they're giving themselves necessary. a personal pass. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, I, but, but the but is, I think when we serve the truly vulnerable at great risk to ourselves, it is, that is a mystery that makes people think. Right. Um, right. Unlike the woke culture where you're pandering for social credit. Right. Uh, the issues when you're standing with the truly vulnerable, there is, your social credit goes down. You know, it goes down. Right. right. That's true. Yeah. You know, uh, we started, uh, uh, Jason, what we call Heal Our Land Holy Hours last Thursday. And uh, th we're recording on Monday, by the way, everybody. And, and, and we put it up on Wednesday. But Anyways, last Thursday, which uh, traditionally has been Ascension Thursday, and it also was the Feast of uh, Our Lady of Fatima, we decided to do our first Holy Hour, because we're going to do it for 18 weeks in a row, 
leading up to October 7th, we decided to do the first one on the steps of the Wisconsin State Capitol. It was glorious. But, but just as we were about to head up there to set up, um, an amazing thing happened. Uh, somebody from the CDC got up and surprised the whole United States, even Biden, uh, to say that, uh, hey, the masks are over. You know, you can take them off the masks and social distancing not too much. And, and I'm going, that's amazing, God, because you were, t- we're talking t- today about influence. And this was their primary source of influence because we have to stare at each other like this all day long. And we're kept stoked in fear all day long because everybody's looking at each other like this and we're keeping separated from each other and you can't see a person smile. Oftentimes I'll, I'll, you know, if I, I wear it when I go grocery shopping because I don't, I don't like to uh, get attacked by the mass Nazis, but I'll pull it down and go, I'm smiling, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, but we we weren't even seeing each other smile. I thought that was amazing, and and uh, you know, and I also thought it was amazing that uh, the reading for for uh, Sunday, and it, it, it's so confusing because they moved the solemnity of the Ascension to Sunday, uh, but it would have been on Thursday. Okay, so so the the, the gospel reading for that day actually said. Uh, but they went forth, this is after he ascended into heaven, but they went forth and preached everywhere while the, while the Lord worked with them, and get this, and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. Okay, and I, I felt we got a sign there. And I, we've seen these, all, you know, we, we started the Grace Horse in 2015. And uh, why? Because uh, gay marriage was coming in and uh, ISIS was, a, was, we were watching people being burned alive and their heads cut off in 2015. Um, we, we saw, uh, Amoris Letizia, you know, and, and the Dubia came in after that. Um, we saw socialism, uh, be, being ushered in through healthcare. We saw the little sisters of the poor being, you know, uh, threatened that they have to, you know, pay for abortifacients. And I mean, it's just like it, unbelievable. So I, I said, we need to get together. And we need to become influencers, okay? We need to become influencers. But the first move that we need to do is prayer. We, because with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And so we need to, do, we need to pray as we've never prayed before. Well, that's all blossomed now into some 77,000 in the United States Grace Corps. But <clears throat> I'm kind of leading all the way up to today. It's Monday today. You know what happened today? I think we all know what happened today <laughs> is... Um, the Supreme Court this morning uh, decided to hear a case that will challenge Roe v. Wade. I, I think it's the first time in like, I don't know, 50 or a long time uh, that this is happening. Uh, well, now we have a court that, praise God, has more uh, constitutional judges on it. But I want to read real quick what uh, Robert George, because this gets to, um, this gets to what we're talking about tonight. Uh, and I want to get to he said this, I can, uh, he talked about the Supreme Court, but he says, I can tell you something that will happen though. It's something that happens every time big abortion perceives a threat to its money and power. We will witness a tsunami of anti-Catholic bigotry, count on it. It is virtually a conditioned reflex. When the abortion industry's interests are in peril, it's flax, whether or not they are official or on the payroll, unleash the know-nothing-ism. As I say, it happens every time. It will happen this time. They cannot stop themselves. And what people cannot uh, not do, they do. See, I I want to, because this timely, first of all, praise God again. I mean, the masks are gone, and, and it seems like we're at the tail end of the virus, and all of a sudden, oh, the Supreme Court's going to hear a case, and, and it's a potential uh, lineup of judges that it could go really well. We need to pray as we've never prayed before. Uh, so, again, I think these are confirmations, okay, that, that we just read about in that scripture passage. He will accompany them with these confirmations. That's what God does. But, but here we are. We're about to be assaulted again because we're a threat. We're divisive. 
we're not going with the radical secular gospel. No. And if we dare go off the reservation, if we dare uh, stray from that narrative, from that gospel, they are going to punish us. And that's been going on. I've never seen or heard of it before in the last year, but it's coming even greater now because they're, they're threatened now to lose their sacrament of abortion. And I, we got to get strong. That's why I've been advocating we need to pray first and then we need to become united. Get strong, get united, right? We need an and let's pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on all of us, to come on our nation, to bring Christ's light and push out the darkness. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And so I, I just believe that our first move always, if we're talking about uh, the duty to influence, is that we first have to get in the confessional. Let's, let's get, let's get to, you know, detoxed of all our sins. Let's let that power of the Holy Spirit come in us, into us, and let's allow the Lord to speak with us. Okay? Speak, Lord, your servant is heareth. Um, and that's, that's our first move. In, uh, and I think that's what's been going on is we've been disconnected from the divine life. And so we've been easy pickings for the devil. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and it's, a, it's, it's a compliment from the world to the church that when the world is gearing up to attack the vulnerable, it has to attack us. Right. Because it knows we are the only thing, as Chesterton would have said, the yes. only thing, we're the only thing that will be there with the vulnerable. And you think of Chesterton and Bellick. Uh, Chesterton said in the mid-30s, or shortly before he passed, one of his last essays, because Hilar Bellick and G.K. Chesterton were not, un, they were not, you know, they were not thoughtlessly going along with Zionism, and they were accused of being anti-Semites. But then, with this this fervor of anti-Semitism was sweeping not just Germany but all of the world in in Europe. Chesterton said, "Hilar Bellick and I went from being the last two accused of being the last two anti-Semites into the world to the last two defenders of the Jews in Christendom." And, you know, now it's the Catholics, Catholic apostolates that have been the most faithful witness to the Uyghurs in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. So the world knows. Yeah, if you're going to attack the vulnerable, what Robbie George said there is really profound. Um, but we should take that as a compliment and as our battle cry. Right. That wherever there is the vulnerable, whether it's uh, Palestinians at the hands of, of um, Israel or whether it's Israelis at the hands of Islamist terrorists, like we want to be on the side of the truly vulnerable, and but Jason, we can't wait around for the bishops either. I think this is going no. to be groundswell. This is going to come from the bottom up. All of this, I believe that, right? Yeah, it yeah, of course. No, and and um, I think that there will be bishops that are encouraged by us and that will 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 follow our lead. Exactly, exactly. Um, but you know, and even for you, Father, obviously, uh, Doug and I can be much more free. I honestly find that I am more free when I gave up the idea of any hope of speaking through Catholic institutions or organs. I find that I am more free to communicate in the world Catholic teaching than right. I am in some Catholic space, as they would say, Catholic space. Right. Um, you know, I was once lambasted for using gender pronouns at a Jesuit high school. Oh my goodness. And it was, yeah, it was startling. And my speech was actually on what was happening to Christians in Iraq and Syria and, uh, and the pro-life movement. They didn't hear a word I said about the genocide that was happening that very day, that very hour. What, what stuck with them is that I used gender pronouns. This was before I even knew, uh, you know, that using pronouns was offensive. Right. So uh, that's how I found out, actually, when a Jesuit high school is upset at my use of pronoun, gender pronouns. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so we as Catholic laity, as you said in a piece that I just read today, we need not be afraid of saying the truth. Um, and it's really sad. You know, I tweeted uh, this week that Iran is using, um, is waging a proxy war against Israel. And... Um, Russia and China, Netanyahu and Iran, and Islamists are benefiting. Mm. But the United States, Israelis, 
Palestinians, Christians, Jews, and Muslims that live there, they're all suffering. That's what's happening. But no one is saying the truth. There are all these powerful special interests spinning their side of the story. But the story is just very simple. And uh, just like in Iraq, just like in Syria, and there was silence from our bishops. There, there was a war, there was a genocide going on in Iraq against Christians and others, but against Catholics. And Iraq is our homeland. It is our holy land. There are churches there from the first century. There was silence. In fact, in my parish, I came, the week I came home from Iraq, for the first time ever, we were asked to pray for Iraq. But do you know who we were asked to pray for? ISIS. Because they're our enemy, and we should love our enemy and pray for our enemy. And I went up to the deacon who asked us to pray for ISIS. I said, I, you know... I have no problem praying for ISIS. I pity them. I pity those young people whose minds have been tormented. They were born into uh, war and poverty and extremist ideologies battering down on them. I pity them. But we have never prayed for our own co-religionists. <laughs> well, because you don't, that doesn't seem so virtuous when you pray for your own, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think, yeah, we have to be radically committed. Again, even with you talking about the masks, I posted recently, I don't not wear a mask to protect me from tyranny. I don't wear a mask to protect you from tyranny. And that's true. There are real costs to the ham-fisted government response to COVID uh, from horrible famine around the world to, um, I just returned from Hawaii where a dear friend committed suicide in his 40s. And a friend of mine who's an, a Hawaii police officer in Honolulu said, Jason, there is such an epidemic of suicide in Waikiki right now because the service industry was so decimated and people have been sitting at home alone, locked in their house with no employment. And if people are already suffering from mental illness, just think how much more the suffering is for them. And where were we? You know, when Cuomo was sending adults with COVID into group homes for children with disabilities, their own parents couldn't get in there. And then if a Catholic kid got COVID in a group home for children with disabilities where they send a patient with COVID, he couldn't get last rites if he was gonna die because he had a disability. Mm. This is so upside down and there was silence from people in leadership. Right. Well, and on that note, I mean, I, I talked to both of you separately today earlier as we were getting ready for the show. And, and I remember, you know, Father, you and I, we were talking about this and I was sharing with you what Jason and I had talked about and the idea that we're living in this absolutely upside down moment where the CDC one day, everybody's got a mask, say six feet apart. And now we flip the switch the next day. If you're vaccinated, you're good to go now. And it was Biden's words directly. The new rule is, these are his words. The new rule is, or the rule is simple. I think is how he puts it. The rule is simple. If you're vaccinated, no mask. If you're not, then you have to mask up. It's your choice. Now, it, as this is happening, right away, Cuomo came out and said, no, no, not in New York. No, we're going to have masks in New York. California, no, no, I'm sorry, we got masks in California. Nancy Pelosi, no, we're still having masks, you know, on, on the, in the chamber there with all the Congress. And he one of the congressmen, I forget his name, he took the mask off and he said, we got to get rid of this stupid mask. And they, they talked about fining him, like, I don't know, 10, whatever, $50,000, whatever it was just because he took his mask off and he said, we're all vaccinated, all right? Now, I'll be the first to say, I'm not a fan of the vaccine. I've said, you're gonna have to beat me to death before I'll take the needle. That's just my personal choice on this based on all the signs that I have seen on it. But that being said, if someone chooses to follow CDC, CDC is all over the place. And Father, you and I talked about this statement. I think it needs to be addressed. And I'm curious, Jason, your take on this. When exorcists will say, and a good friend of ours, Dan Schneider, who works with, Father Chad Ripperger and Lieber Christo, and they do a lot of work with uh, spiritual deliverance for people who are in, in really struggling spiritually, is that evil will always mitigate to a point of absurdity. The evil gets to a point of absurdity. And one of the examples that Dan used is, you look at the person who start looking at pornography and they start with the kind of benign images, you know, the, the good looking you know, model here or there. And then pretty soon you're into the, the bizarre, twisted, dark, really, really dark, sick stuff. And it just keeps moving to a point of just irrational, twisted absurdity. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now with a lot of these things that you were just talking about, Jason, 
and, and that, that I mentioned is that we've got this absurd moment going on. And it seems like even those, I call it the radical left, the radical progressives, whatever term you want to put on them, they're eating their own now, much more so. They've always done this, but they're doing even more so, it seems. But Jason, what's your take on that idea that, that evil mitigates to a point of absurdity? And we're seeing these types of things right now with, with the way things are so twisted with everything regarding masking and social distancing to vaccines to, I think, how do you get more absurd than convincing a woman that it's okay to kill the child in her own body, in her own womb? Something about that just seems to be a, a degree of absurdity itself. What's your take on this, Jason? Yeah, well, it's something new, right? In Germany, when in Germany in the 30s, they had whole departments with PhDs on um, how, you, you know, race and superior of this race and how you could tell by someone's ear or their forehead, mm. how intelligent they were. I and mean, it's absurd. And now we've got the same thing uh, with gender ideology, the same thing, you know, with these masks, which are really just sacramentals of the spirit of the age, you know, and uh, the gods of the city now have sacramentals too. And they're, they're quite obnoxious and ineffective. But yeah, I think this is a real opportunity. You know, I was only banned from Facebook once, which I don't know what that means. Maybe I should be ashamed of myself. I, oh, my friends are all getting banned all the time. But the one time I was banned <laughs> from Facebook, what's that? Not me. Yeah, hold on. Let's, let's, let's establish this. Jason, you've been banned once. I've not been, I've been warned. I've not been kicked off. Father is in jail again for like the 12th time, it seems like, for 30 days now. All right. And the funny thing is, I have posted several of the things that he got kicked off Facebook for. I post them. I just get, you know, a flag of some sort. I never get kicked off. They got a target on father's back. I think you're right, Jason. You and I aren't, aren't divisive enough. If we're, we're not divisive <laughs> enough. You know, the only times I've gotten warnings were for jokes. I mean, they were outright jokes. And then the one time I got banned for 30 days. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, and this is the opportunity with the absurdity of you said they're eating their own. Yeah. And where we as Christians can come in, and although we're often we're called to be divisive, now it's divisive not to be divisive. For, right, give you an right. example. Ellen DeGeneres, um, I only know about her what I've seen on television, you know, and how she presents herself, and by her what seems to be a, a large circle of close friends who adore her. And she was defending Kevin Hart for a joke he made on Twitter in 2012. So they tried to dox him so he couldn't be in the Academy Awards because it was a gay joke. Um, so then the, the, the LGBTQ mob went after Ellen. So I made a video saying that in the 90s, I supported traditional marriages. I still do. I actually was very involved in Hawaii and working in the Save Traditional Marriage campaign. And Ellen DeGeneres her winsome character, her kindness, her, the warmth that people perceive from her. She was why, I think, the major reason, she was probably one of the major players in changing America's opinion on that issue, even though we disagreed. But yet, here you are attacking somebody who did more than any of you for the cause you say you care about because she's showing thoughtfulness, empathy, and charity to Kevin Hart for a joke he made in 2012 and apologized for in 2013. Posted that video, Facebook said, you have violated our terms of service. <laughs> and they banned you. And I'm thinking, whoa, for what? For admiring somebody I disagree with? I don't really know what I was banned for. Yeah. It's but, absurd, yeah. But is, is this, this cancel culture really, and it devolves from like puritanical Protestantism. No offense to any of you puritanical Protestants watching the show. But... <laughs> But, you know, this idea of, of stitching a scarlet letter on everybody and, and not yeah. forgiving them is something that, that we as Catholics have been criticized for being too charitable and too forgiving and too sensual and too of the worldly. Um, but this, to me, is a real opportunity for us. Um, we don't see somebody who committed as adultery as an adulterer that should have a scarlet A uh, sewn onto their shirt and shunned from society right. forever. And you know what? Just like I don't think somebody who went to a, a Southern, uh, what happened to that young woman on television? She went to a Daughters of the Confederacy Ball or something when she was in high school, which I guess is something they do in parts of the country. And they try to destroy her. That's not something that we as Catholics can even wrap our mind around. And I think and when this is all shakes out, it's going to be very attractive to people. And, you know, Milo, who recently came in, returned to the Catholic Church. I think it's because uh, 
he saw that the only people that stuck around with him maybe was, was Catholics. And then it got him to look twice at his faith again. And which I don't think Milo for one second ever abandoned. He maybe lost faith in himself, but not faith in Jesus Christ or the church. Mm. And uh, when he saw so many Catholics never lost faith in him. And, you know, and through God's grace, he's now, I, I, I'm hearing, you know, living a chaste life or trying to and, and, and trying to honor God. So I see this as a great opportunity for us. Yeah. Something we could never do is engage in this vicious, cruel, all cancel culture is, is a reenactment of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Yes, and so we should is. just be like Christ. And every yeah. time we see it, we should be right there saying, no, I'm with her. Well, I, you. Let me jump in real quick here, Father, before you comment. Is, is there was an image that I saw recently on 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 I don't forget what you know social media it was, and it was a picture of a recent shooting that had taken place on a campus somewhere, a college campus, within the last year or so. And you have all these college students that are running away, and then you have I think two or three police officers that are running full force towards the gunfire. And you just described this, Jason. That that's what came to my mind is this image of in the thick of a battle, thick of war when the enemy seems overwhelming or seems just so threatening and there's so much destruction and chaos going on, the real heroes, you know, father, you and I've talked so much about this. You've written so much about this in your, in your stories and preaching your homilies. The real heroes are the ones that are running towards, towards the threat. And they're running with a confidence that they can bring some sort of order peace, some sort of some, even if it's defense, it's physical defense of some sort, but they're bringing it. And I see that as, as true faithful Catholics who are adhering to Christ, adhering to the teachings of the church that are authentic, not the twisted ones from those out there, those heretics that are twisting things left and right now, but the authentic true teachings. We bring this in the thick of this battle. You run towards that gunfire and everybody then can see clearly, much more clearly, as I think you just mentioned, Jason, about Milo is in the thick of all this craziness. You look at this and, and see the Catholics are the ones, the faithful ones. They're the ones that are bringing that, that sense of peace and order. You know, the, the spiritual works of mercy, the first one is admonish the sinner. I mean, it, it's a loving thing to tell somebody when they're on a path that's leading to destruction. And then it follows up with, you know, instructing and counseling and comforting and all these pieces that go with it. And that's kind of what came to my mind when you were talking earlier today, Jason, about this is something you wanted to bring up as you just did is that this, this opportunity with so-called cancel culture gives us a powerful moment to run towards the gunfire, so to speak with the truth and show people what Catholicism truly is all about. Yeah. And laugh at them when they try to cancel us. It's comical. Yeah. Like I'm not a yeah. child. I don't care. You know, yeah, this isn't the uh, ninth grade cafeteria. Okay. Right. Yeah. When um, I die, I don't stand before the cancel culture. I stand no, before the <laughs> It's childish and childlike and it's silly. And yeah. we should have no no fear of the cancel culture. And um right. but it, it can be vicious and cruel and it makes people feel, you know, lonely and alienated, suicidal. It's it's vicious. And um from you know, from children literally in school to some celebrity uh who out of the blue gets attacked for something he never thought was offensive or wrong when they did whatever it is they did. Yeah. And so we should never engage in that. And, <laughs> and I want to bring it back to, because this is an issue that I'm kind of caught in the middle. And because of my friendships and affections, again, is, is what's happening in Israel. You know, you have, um, if you're looking on social media, I see so many of my friends and they'll have the Israeli flag and they'll be kind of cheering on the attacks and the one direction they'll have other friends of mine who are sympathetic for the Palestinians and they'll be cheering on the attacks on Tel Aviv or whatnot. And to me, you know, as a Christian, I look at this as a Catholic and I see how sorrowful it is. You have the Jews the people that have suffered, um, you know, pogroms and genocides and there are Islamist groups that are, that are chanting most horrible things and openly calling for the eradication of the Jewish people. And they're fearful you have Palestinians with this recent court case, the eviction of families from their homes. They've, their families have been for centuries. And it just seems like one more blow and it creates despair and anger. And so there's all of this. But we as Americans, these aren't teams. This is not like we were joking before the cameras went on about the Packers and the Bears, you know? This is not a sports game. These are human beings that are trapped and caught within all these horrible forces of history that just want to live in peace and they just want prosperity. And they and, and they and they they just want their children to be safe, yeah. um, and again, there are all these powerful interests influencing and churning up influence 
we need to be there as Catholics advocating and seeking to influence on behalf of the truly vulnerable. And this is where I would say, I know people on the Pope staff watch the show. I know bishops watch the show. You know, maybe that's something that's too big for us as laities, too big for even you right now, Father. We need our bishops. We need the Holy Father really to speak up loudly and clearly and thoughtfully on behalf of all of the people that live in Israel and Palestine. We want, we need a real forceful voice um, because when, you know, we look at this, it's very sorrowful. And what makes me just as sad as the violence is people in my social media feed cheering it along like they're watching the Super Bowl. It's yeah. quite gross because that smell that I told you I smelled in Iraq, um, well, that smell is, is coming, uh, you know, from the streets of Israel today. Mm. And it's very sorrowful. And it's, and, and, um, but when I look for those voices from, from powerful and prominent Catholics in positions of authority right now, I don't, I don't, I don't hear their voice and I, I don't, I don't see their words. Hmm. You know, when I, I was, uh, the article that you referred to is again, based on this homily I gave the, uh, this past Sunday. Um, but, uh, one of the heroes I pointed to was, uh, uh, the late great Bishop Robert Morlino and anybody who lived in the area or lived in our diocese. Uh, and saw what happened to him. He came in, I think it was around 2005, uh, and he passed away, I think it was in 2018. But um, uh, what happened to him in, in those 13 some odd years that he was here, he was absolutely brutalized by the secular media. media. Why? Because he posed a threat to their indoctrination. This is the problem. I saw someone use the term, the propaganda media. I went, that's it. It's a propaganda media. And, and, and there's only one narrative that's allowed. And he was, was speaking, obviously, the truth that comes from divine revelation. And, and he wasn't, you know, tearing into anybody or anything. He was just speaking the truth. He, he, would, he would get upset when he saw these lies. And, and he'd say, now, wait a minute. You know, that's not true. This is what's true over here. But again, he was this, this amazing shepherd that I said it wasn't a business manager, uh, but he was a dad to his family. And, and he saw the wolves uh, destroying uh, his family, and he would have nothing of it. And uh, the, the reason I bring him up, though, uh, Jason, is because I want to get your take. Why is it that you believe that the vast majority of current shepherds aren't like Bishop Marlito, but instead use this uh, narrative that you're being divisive. I mean, Bishop Marlito was divisive. <laughs> you know, uh, people knew where he stood and some hated him for it. You know, some hated him for it because they were so locked into the radical secular gospel. The how dare he say one man, one woman, there's only two genders and so on. You know, uh, he's a great defender of the babies in the womb too. But how dare he do that? You know, I, but, but instead of that, the vast majority of spiritual leaders, bishop, priests, uh, even evangelical and uh, Protestant pastors are saying, we don't want to be divisive. Where, where are they coming from? Do you have a take on that? What, what's going on there? Yeah. And what is shocking is you brought up, Father, that even some of our evangelical brothers and sisters we used to count on to be the right. hard chargers. We could kind of sit back and just let them go. Where did they yeah. go? Where'd I they mean, go? Where did they go? Uh, Carter Sneed, who you should have on from the Notre Dame Center for Ethics and Culture, he has a new book on, on the law and how we've forgotten the body. And when the law forgets the body, um, the, and it only looks to the will. It, then it abandons the vulnerable. Then, because the, the, our body is what makes us abandon the vulnerable. You abandon the vulnerable when the yeah. law, the the, the shepherd, and us as disembodied wills. And I feel we have we have we have abandoned the vulnerable. For example, there are bishops who I are consider friends. They may not like me much anymore. I don't know, but there, you know, there's one bishop in particular who I, I know. Consider, a lot of bishops don't like me at all. <laughs> Go ahead. And it's hard because they might have been your friend. You know, there's a bishop right. who. I admire, I think of him as a friend, but I have to say that he abandoned, he abandoned um, his diocese. I think it was because of lawyers. People couldn't get sacraments. 
there people couldn't get last rights insurance uh, people dying and I, I think it's lawyers and, and insurance agents i mean uh yeah it had to do with insurance it might have had to do with federal funds bailout money and i don't know how hard it is to have to make all of these sorts of decisions i i can't imagine uh the challenge and the predicament they're in but there was also utter silence so you know what i do with my family when i'm in a tough prudential situation is i talk out loud this is what i'm weighing we have this, this these decisions to make for you know um should we do this or should we do that if we do this i just had to do it with some relatives i said look if if you get the co i'm trying to you know i was talking that i will never get the covid vaccine but if you get the covid vaccine you have to understand there are risks you have to understand um you could still get covid and if you don't get the vaccine you have to understand you could get covid right and you have to weigh all of this um, and but I, you do it out loud and you share what you're thinking and what you're weighing. And I felt with this one bishop who was a friend of mine, he just vanished. It's pretty much not returned yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't heard from him. And it's it's strange. I don't understand. Um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to give away too much of who he is. But um, yeah, I, but again, I, I can't put myself. And uh, I know who you're talking about. We're going to put his picture up at the end of the show here so everybody can see with his name. <laughs> Cardinal Supich. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> no. That's who I thought it was. No, no. He was never a friend of mine. So, by the way, uh, <laughs> my light is out. My light, my halo light. So, the sun was my light. The sun is set. So, if, if I get better looking as the show goes, you it's just. You are, by the way. You just yeah. can't see me anymore. I mean, yeah, if we right. keep going much longer, I'll, be, I'll disappear because yeah. my light is set. I'm getting a lot of comments from people right now coming in on this, on this recording. <laughs> How is he getting so good looking? You started the show exactly. so ugly. No, the, the sun set. Uh, you can see my great saints, by the way. Can I show you guys my light? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's my light. Of course, there's wow. St. Colby. Colby. Um, and then over here I have my saints. You have your saints father behind you here, mine. Yeah. And uh, I got I to gotta show off my Colby. I'm not too partial to the Polish. There's my Colby. St. Damien and Father Yerji. <laughs> Right on. Yeah. It's rare to I'm have going to go. Me. I'm just going to. producer wanna, wants to smack I'm me. I'm going to go with this right here. <laughs> there we go. It's beautiful, Doug. Yeah. Okay, Doug, Doug, now we got to up it. We're going to shock the audience. We will. Yeah, sure. Right. Where's your sword? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a sword. All right. Got to keep it right. It's, it's close by, easily close accessible. By. You never right. know. I'm trying to find something that's like a sword. Oh, we got well, better hide that, Father. We don't want you to well, get banned again. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. You just keep the weapons away from the camera, Father. We need you on social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jason and I can get banned. No, Jason, on that point, too, I, I agree with that. And, Father, same, same question. You know, where have they all gone? I mean, we've all experienced it to some degree. I was told not too long ago, and I won't, I, I've said this several times on the podcast, and I'm not going to divulge any more information because I don't want to incriminate anybody, and there's, I have good reason for that, and I have to leave it at that. But I was told I was too political uh, within the Catholic Church, and, you know, and, and I was basically put in a position where I had to, uh, you know what, I got canceled. I'll just put it that way. And it was a major financial hit to me and my wife. I mean, it was a major one. And it took me like two seconds to answer when they said, it's this or this, and and it took two seconds because the first second was I had to not say what I wanted to say um, out of charity. And so I said what I what I did say was it ain't gonna it's not gonna happen, you know. I, I can't. How do you be quiet? And like you said earlier, Jason, you know, as laity, we we get an opportunity to to work within a different, you know, um, confine if you want to call it that that Father doesn't have, you know, a certain luxury, I guess, where we don't have to be beholden in certain ways to uh, to certain church authority who who are just playing. The political game or the dip diplomacy, you know, to try to keep things a certain way for some reason. But there, this has been going on. Oh, for can, so I, long. can I jump in real quick? Yeah, I just want to say you you were vindicated because during that election year, and you weren't like holding up yard signs in the camera or anything like that. That right. you were trying to stop a uh, a bum rush of evil that was on our way, and you were warning the flock. Yeah. And 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 that was called political. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly. And, and it, yeah. you were, you, and you might have been advocating for someone who was um, helping our side, uh, a Constantine, I'd, I'd like to call him, but but he 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 allowed us to flourish, 
Okay. Um, but that's what you did. Okay. Here we are. Yeah. hundred days in, you know, how, how, how you guys, at least we don't have those mean tweets now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, uh, you've yeah, been vindicated yeah. and, and I've, I'm seeing, you know, spiritual leaders, I'll call them, uh, who are now rising up and going Pelosi and, you know, Biden and everything that you got canceled for, mm -hmm. Uh, during that time, they're going, oh, I guess we do have to do this now. <laughs> well, how is this? Yeah. That is it's too political for us as laity to be engaged in media, be engaged in political action committees or work for campaigns. Why did Joe Biden run for office as a Catholic? Is that too political? He's right. for the United right. States. Like none of this. No, no, no. devout Catholic. Yeah, devout Catholic, right. Yeah. I love Abby With Johnson's. Did you see Abby Johnson's response on Twitter to his, his, it's simple. Remind me, I think I saw it. Uh, it it's simple. Where The rules are simple. Get your vaccine and you can take off your mask. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then Abby Johnson replied, the rule is simple. Repent for your advocacy of abortion, defend life, and you can return to communion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but I don't know how, you know, in the four, Knights of Columbus, the fourth degree is about patriotism. You know, we have been told, I, I've got a, a, a shelf full of books here with every one of Fulton Sheen's books. Uh, we are encouraged as Catholics to be engaged in the political life of our community. When all of a sudden, do who and they get to choose who's too political, who's not political, what's political, what's not political. You know, when we look at um, the Trump administration, we had peace in Israel. Do you think Iran would be launching a proxy war on Israel right now right, if Donald right. Trump was president? Uh, no, <laughs> this would not be happening right now. No, I want to no. support any force. Uh, I want to support any force that's going to uh, help us to have peace, help us to have a robust economy, to help us to uh, uh, turn a culture of death into a culture of life. I want to support that force. You want to call that po politics? I don't believe it is. I, I, I honestly, and, and again, I think Doug, you're being vindicated uh, because everybody now is rising up and, and going, Oh wait, we, sh I guess we should have done this in 2020. Well, I mean, like Doug did. The, yeah. <laughs> well, the gas prices alone, the border, you know, um, you know, it, all Children these types dying. of things. Children What's dying that? in the river, the president of Guatemala criticizing yeah. Biden for a policy that's luring vulnerable migrants to their death. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. All, all of these should be examples. Anybody, anybody with any common sense should look at that and say, okay, yeah, there was a major mistake here in allowing this, this uh, stealing to take place. That Okay, speak about the hat, Jason. What, who's, where's that come from? What's it represent? The only force in the world that was standing with the Uyghur, they're an ethnic minority. They were actually Nestorian Christians till the 15th century. Their country was invaded by China in 1949. This is their hat, the Dopa. Their symbol is the child in the womb of all things. Wow. Um, Three million in concentration camps. Donald Trump's administration put all kinds of pressure on China. They, 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 they labeled it a genocide, which it is. Three million um, Uyghurs in concentration camps being killed, organs harvested, forced abortions, rape. President Biden called it a Chinese cultural norm, which to me is a greater insult. My wife is Chinese, right? So that is a greater insult to the Han Chinese than it is to the Uyghur. It would be like saying that the Holocaust was a German cultural norm, which wasn't true, actually. Germany was the country that was most open to Jews in all of Europe. Anti-Semitism was raging in the United States and in England and in France. Um, and Germany was a place that many um, Jews fled from the east, from Russia, to come for security. That was an, it, it, there was an enthusiasm. It happened in a place and time. It was not a German cultural norm. What, what the CCP is doing to the Uyghur, it's not a Chinese cultural norm. It might be a communist cultural norm to wage genocides, but um, Biden called it a Chinese cultural norm. We went from having a president fighting for this ethnic minority, these Muslims. We were told he's a bigot, he's anti-Muslim, this and that. He fought for them. Joe Biden yawns and turns his back on them. Mm. Even his own cabinet was shocked. So many Democrats and even radical left groups were shocked. This is the kind of um, thin, he has a thin soul. He's loveless, thoughtless. Yeah. And so you were doxxed 
for standing with um, our president for that is, you know, a badge of honor. I think we should get you one of those big badges like, the, you know, the French used to wear on, in parades and soldiers. <laughs> well, I, uh, I got to say, Jason, um, you know, you talked about this in a past episode that there's so, and we can't get into now. I know we have a ton of time left. And, and before we, 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 we wrap this up, I want to hear from both of you, if you don't mind, the title, The Duty of Influence, you know, what, what we need to say about that before we wrap it up. But before we say that, you talked last time, I think we had you on, that there's a much bigger, more nefarious plan going on behind all of this. Ultimately, you talked about um, the Great Reset, Klaus Schwab. You read Klaus's book, COVID-19, The Great Reset. He admits that this is all tied together. Um, I know you've done a lot of research on this. Can you say just a, a, a couple of things about that before we get to this, this, uh, this, this key title, the duty of influence? What, what do you think? I mean, Biden, someone's pulling strings. Yeah, the guy can't complete credibility by, by saying it like it is. You know, I, I did a special on Holy Saturday with Steve Bannon on transhumanism. Yeah, I saw that. That was a great piece. And it's really unbelievable, but it's been something I've been studying really since the early 90s. Uh, studying Bill Gates' advocacy for transhumanism. And when you hear it for the first time, just like when you hear about 3 million Uyghurs in concentration camps and organ harvesting, you think I'm crazy. It's true. And transhumanism, it's going to sound crazy, but it's true. Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Warren Buffett, they have been advocating now for over three decades this idea that the super wealthy will live forever now. This generation of super wealthy will have the opportunity to live forever. We need to greatly reduce the population of the world. We, we as a species, Bill Gates said, will no longer need to reproduce um, to continue on because they'll continue on for us. You know, our posterity is Bill Gates, I guess. You know, we need to save the environment for our posterity, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and their friends. And, and the science behind this, I, I won't get into, but if, if you, you research it, what they believe, it's really satanic. And um, when you're in a position of power and privilege, you're to serve the vulnerable. Right. You're to serve the common good. You're to serve the community. I pity my friends who are wealthy and, and, um, and have power and influence because of the severe, the, the burden that they have on their shoulders to leverage all of that in service of the common good would break my nervous system. You know, I, it's hard enough for me to manage what I have, this little apostolate of mine and manage my nervous system. But someone like Klaus Schwab and, and, and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, there is really a bizarre agenda. You can research transhumanism there, or you can even listen to the special uh, over there at the war room we did with Steve Bannon. It's quite well, frightening. I, I, I want to say one quick thing on it, and, and, and that's the, this. And Klaus Schwab himself has said this. He's on video. I've seen the clip that he sees the fourth industrial revolution as the fusion of AI, artificial intelligence, and inhuman, in humanity. And, and to the point where you can't even distinguish the difference between it. Is that in a nutshell what we're talking about here with transhumanism? Yeah, they think the very first steps so will they'll be able to upload their, their being. Their consciousness. Their consciousness into uh, the cloud, then download it into clones. But eventually, yeah, it'll be seamless. And, you know, Bill Gates yeah. first started talking about this publicly in the early 90s. And, you know, people are listening to this going, this is some weird stuff, but it's really true. But there are all these weird Gnostic ideologies that have ravaged the world over the past 2000 years. In a way, this is nothing new. I talked to one scientist who said, it's, it's really funny. It's like they, you know, even if you could store your memories and upload it all, that's not you any more than a photograph of you is you. It'd be a recording mm -hmm. of you. It's not you. So how silly that, you know, they think that there's going to be, they're going to exist forever. Well, no, they're not going to exist forever any more than you're, you, you know, the, this, this, this is Father Jersey, right? This isn't Father Jersey. Uh, and if we uploaded Jersey Popescu's memories into some cloud, that wouldn't be Father Jersey. But it's, it's for the end of the show, it's, it's a lot to take. I know it's, sure. but it's startling and it's strange. But again, it goes with, abandoning the vulnerable mm -hmm. thoughtlessness to the vulnerable right. you know we have a world where uh, this was one of the biggest years of famine since world war ii 
and are super wealthy are fantasizing about living forever in the cloud. Yeah. It's absurd. It's really absurd. And yeah. it's, and it's a great tragedy. Yeah. Evil mitigates to absurdity. Yeah. yeah. So, Listen, you take uh, we're, we're at the end of our time right here. And I just want to thank you, Jason, so much. Um, and you did get handsomer as the show went on. It so disappeared. There is that. Yeah. And, and I got a tan as the show. Yeah, went you on. got a tan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want to end just by pointing to the fact that, um, we're in the midst of the uh, ancient Pentecost novena right now. Right. As we're recording, it's day four. We're actually praying for the gift of fortitude uh, on Monday. Uh, when this airs, it'll be Wednesday. That'll be day six of this Pentecost novena. Um, I think you guys believe, I, I know I do, that uh, we need, 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 we're begging, God, please send an abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. into our hearts. Make us courageous. Uh, make us be able to stand up and 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 push back, uh, primarily with our love. Uh, push back the darkness with our light, with the light of Christ. And so, um, as we end this uh, this episode, I want to pray this prayer. I, I pray it after, at the end of every episode, but I'm going to pray a special way. I want to raise my hands, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to be poured out on everybody, everybody that is <clears throat> watching. <clears throat> and I and I ask everybody, please, we're, we're in this Pentecost novena. Pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jason. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks, thanks brother. Father, thanks, Doug.